0: For that, we're in uh, the great chapter 8, and I want to begin this morning by telling you about Bob and, and uh, Bobby Clinton. Uh, for those of you who don't know, these are our missionaries to Nepal that are our church supports. Uh, they've been here on many occasions. Um, uh, they, they, they used to make their base here out of Rockford, but now they make their base out of uh, North Carolina. Um, in my trips to India and Nepal, I think I've taken eight of them now. Uh, I, I've seen them, I think, seven of the time. Most of the time, they have been a uh, uh, kind of a hostess for me. They've been doing a, a great work. I've always been encouraged by the work they're doing. And, and their focus upon upon mercy ministries. And really, their focus is upon true religion, if you will. Uh, James one twenty seven is, uh, is a key verse of theirs. Um, it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And that's what they try to do. Over in Nepal, there's a huge need for orphans, there's a huge need for widows and And they visit them in their affliction. They have built a handful of children's homes. I'm not sure that's five or six or something like that. In in Nepal and uh, northeast India, they have one. Um, They have, I'm guessing, some 200 children, maybe 250. I'm not sure that they have gathered and and linked sponsors here in the United States with uh, children over there to to help them, to to provide everything for them. Food, clothing, shelter, school, uh, medical, uh, whatever. Uh, to the tune of about $80 a month. If you're interested in signing up, talk to me. I can help you um, with a, a child. You can do that. Okay, we're, we're good. And, um, you know, these these children have either been truly orphaned or basically abandoned by their parents and in great need. Um, the homes then, often the children's home, often becomes a place for widows to kind of stage them and to help them to get a skill and get them up and going. They, they really, really do that well. And uh, another verse they cling to is, is Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither is circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. But faith working through love is really what counts. In, in other words, he, he's saying that it's, it's not the, the legal things, but what, what hap- it's, it's trusting God um, working through love to other people. And, and that's Bob and Bobby are real high on that. They put Christian love on display. And as they do that, what's very interesting is uh, people come to Christ because of that, and churches are strengthened because of what they do, because it's so radically different than their society. And I, I just want to tell you one story. I could talk a lot, but my, my purpose isn't this story, but I just want to give you an idea. Remember a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, when they had an earthquake in Nepal, April twenty fifth, 2015, uh, initially, right? They said, oh, we got to do what we can do, and they helped initially in Kathmandu, but but pretty soon as they focused, they, they thought, what, should, what can we do? And, and there's such great need. They just focused on one little village uh, north of Kathmandu, Sindhupalchok. Sindhupalchok is the name of this little village. I'm not sure. I'm I'm guessing maybe from what I've seen, it's only pictures 400 people maybe, 500 people. But their houses destroyed. People in the houses died. I remember him interviewing a a grandfather who'd lost his grandchildren there in the house and his grandmother and his wife. And they they were just devastated. And so what they did is they... They, uh, Bob and his team brought rice and blankets, supplies in their village. They learned how to build these temporary shelters, which they did. And one woman in that village summed it up well. She said, in the time of our need, our government was nowhere to be seen. But you Christians came and showed love towards us. And uh, though it's illegal to share the gospel in Nepal, and though it's illegal to uh, be converted in Nepal um, as a result of their efforts, many villagers have come to Christ Including probably the most influential man in this village, has really embraced Jesus. And he's been off to Bible college now and been back, and now he's working, shepherding his church. Bob told me recently that he was, uh, that church recently is about 30, 40 people. Um, uh, Lots were out during the harvest, so he doesn't know exactly how many are, are there. But this was a town before the earthquake, there was one old woman who was a believer. And now 30 or 40 because of love, faith working through love. Anyway, I tell you that just to say that we had Bob and Bobby for lunch on Thursday. They're leaving town on Friday. And so they called us up and said, hey, you want to have lunch? We're like, absolutely. It's the blessing of being a pastor and for our kids to put them around. Uh, missionaries is really good to hear their story. And, and they shared a video that, that I want to share with you. It's a picture of how they, they change lives. It's a, it's a video of a little boy named... Um, Hemraj, and let's see if we can get the the volume. We'll, we'll see if we got it. So here we go.
1: I started in class four. My school is Sri Nawazat School. I live in Bardiya Chilling Home.
2: So here's the boy mm-hmm. living in the Bardiya Chilling Home. He wants to share something in Nepali. I'll try to translate it in English. Mm-hmm. So, by the time I am on a bandha, I am saying, "Can I stay here? Cost is cheap."
1: I am on a day.
2: So before I come to here in the children home, I used to beg the roadside and going here and there. Oh, and because
1: the
2: reason why I'm in the footpath to begging people because my father uh, died and uh, my mother uh, married with another Man, this was And um, there was another man who used to beat me uh, in that village. Hmm. And the said hotel kokos the tini. Huh? Hmm. <laughs> so I I work in the hotel too. So I work in the hotel too. I need to I, I used to was dishes in the hostel and the, as a cleaner boy in the hostel I worked there I never been to school at that time it was very hard time for me ani i yaha nepal nepal please le and uh, I was running here and there and I was traveling by bus but the policemen catch me and um uh, I mean the bus staff they catch me and the, uh, they hand over to the police station police station and then they send me Guleria is a is a, a small city is small city here and then um, our children's home director here some information from the police department. Uh, there, there was a boy in the police station, and it then. Then the police uh, hand over to our first love uh, children's home director, Mohan, uh, this boy here. Then, what is the name of the house? What is the name of the What is the name of the
1: house?
2: What is the name name
1: I'm
2: very happy to be here in the children home because I have lots of friends here and the families and uh, I'm really happy because I'm praising God here. He received Christ uh, through Bob Baje and Kuali Chineko. Before four years he received Christ. When he was eight years old he received Christ through Bob Bazi, Aru.
1: He's
2: joyful in the children's home. So he wants to be a football player. See the the Chelsea jersey he's wearing here and uh, uh-huh. thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank
2: you. i am so thankful to prayer partners for supporting me and praying for me and um, thank you thank you thanks you
0: nice. so Hemraj's life has been transformed. And this is one of hundreds of stories that are told by these children that are abandoned. So his, his father died, his wife married someone else. And in the Hindu culture, you don't take on other's children. You, they're, they're just abandoned. They're just they're gone. Um, it just, it does, just doesn't work because um, they want their own children. They'll raise their own children, but they don't have any <coughs> regard for others. So here was Haraj and uh, Hemraj, and he was uneducated. On the street, begging, being beaten, in poverty, washing dishes, never going to school, running away, caught by the police, and now he's been brought into the children's home. Think about his life and how much it has, has changed. He, he's at his children's home now, he's loved by the staff, his needs are being met as he looks forward to his life. He, he's getting educated, he can look forward to a better job than if he wasn't educated at all, he can look forward to a life of happiness and joy and prosperity. And he's believed in Christ through Bob Clinton. He said, Bajay Bob, and shared the gospel with him. And he believed in Jesus. And so he's got eternal life to look forward to. It all, all has changed. And, and much has changed because God's family has taken him in. And his, his, his life is really a living illustration of believers, right? Apart from God's grace, our prospect for the future is dim. Right? We're, we're children of, of wrath, sinners under God's wrath with no hope for the life to come. And know in America things may be doing well, but give, it, give or take 50, 80, 100 years from now and apart from Christ, there's no hope. But then Jesus comes into our life, we trust in Him, taking Him into His family and, and it all changes. We're justified by His grace through faith and we're embraced by His love and it all changes. There's a, a different perspective and a different outlook. Well, this morning as we open our Bibles, we're going to think about what it means to come into the family of God. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to open a Romans chapter 8, so we're in the, the grade 8, here's where we are, and we've come this morning beginning in verse 14. If you have a pew Bible, if you're looking on page 941 is uh, where we are, uh, verses 14 through 17, just want to read that for you this morning. Um... It's a real simple passage, but it deals with family. It deals with adoption. So let, let's just read it: Romans eight fourteen through seventeen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, it's right here in verse fourteen that Paul introduces this family concept into uh, into the book of Romans. In fact, in fact, all of Romans, I looked, I searched for sons and for children, and anything like that. There's no reference in Romans one through seven about anything about sons or being part of his family or being part of children until Romans 8, verse 14. He begins to use these family terms. Like in, in verse 14, he speaks there about sons. And in verse 15, he speaks about being adopted as sons. In, in verse 15, he also talks about being an, an Abba father, by which we, we, call, we call God, that we can call God our father and he also calls us children of God, there at the end of verse 16. And in verse 17, he extends his children metaphor to heirs. Heirs are always of the family. Heirs are our children, the family term as well. But the key concept of all of it is this term, adoption, where we are adopted into his family. See, we're not born children of God. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that we are, by nature, children of wrath. That is, we are children hostile to God, against God. We must be adopted into His family. Even as Dallas read for us from Ephesians 1 about adoption. We've been predestined for adoption through Jesus Christ into His His family. And I just tell you, to be adopted into God's family, and to be called children of God is incredible. I mean, it's just an amazing thing that God would take human beings and bring them into the divine family. John tries to capture it in First John, chapter three verse one. He says, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God." In other words, he's saying, "Behold, what, what sort of love is this that God would bring us in to be called children of God?" And he says, "Thus we are, we are children of God." And, and you know, my, my aim for this message this morning is you'd be greatly encouraged by, by that fact that we who are in Christ are adopted into His family, that that we are one of His children. And being one of His children, we have many privileges. My message this morning is entitled, Privileges of Adoption. Because that's what what Paul lays out in these four verses. We're going to see four different privileges of adoption. Now, I've chosen that word very carefully because it's the word that J.I. Packer used when he was writing about adoption of God's family in his excellent book, Knowing God. It's classic book, Knowing God. And uh, chapter 19 is entitled, um, Sons of God, and here's J.I. in his old age, and he is still... Um, that's how he looks. He's an old, he, this book has had much impact upon our generation, more, more than you know. But I, I want to read an extended quote here from, from J.I. Packer about adoption. And he says this. He says, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. And catch this. He says, Higher even than justification. Now, this may cause the raising of eyebrows, for justification is a gift of God on which, since Luther, 500 years ago, this month, right, evangelicals have laid the greatest stress. And we are accustomed to say, almost without thinking, that free justification is God's supreme blessing to us sinners. Nonetheless, careful thought will show the truth of the statement we've just made, that justification, by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past, together with His acceptance for the future, is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel. That is not in question. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need, we stand by nature under God's judgment. His law condemns us. Guilt gnaws at us, making us restless, miserable, and in our lucid moments, afraid. We have no peace in ourselves because we have no peace with our Maker. So, we need the forgiveness of sins and assurance of a restored relationship with God, and more than, than we need anything else in this world. And this, the gospel offers us before it offers us anything else. Okay, so justification is important. And and Paul, that's why I think Paul dealt with justification first in Romans 3, 4, and 5. But, he says, this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. He says, justification is a forensic idea conceived in terms of law, viewing God as judge. But adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as a father. In adoption, God takes us into His family and fellowship and establishes us as His children and heirs. Closeness and affection and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. To, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But then going beyond, right, to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. In other words, Jay Packers saying this: that it's one thing to be forgiven, and that's a wonderful thing, and that is justification. But it's entirely another thing to be loved for and cared for. I, I, I was thinking a great biblical illustration: Second Samuel thirteen and fourteen tells of the dysfunctional family of David. And uh, David had lots of sons, but in this particular story, we're dealing with Absalom and Amnon, brothers, and their sister Tamar. And, and Amnon had this love for Tamar, his sister, that he just couldn't shake. And, and whatever he, he did, he just couldn't, couldn't calm his passion for her. And in a strange way of his expressing his love towards her, he tricked her, violated her, raped her. And, um, and uh, rightly enraged, Absalom saw that. It was like, oh, he raped my sister. It's my brother. And eventually, Absalom had Amnon killed by his servants. He said, go kill him. And they they did. And so after that, for fear of punishment, Absalom left and fled the city. He, He lived as an exile for three years in Geshur. He was fearful that his father might come with justice and have him killed. But after three years, David granted him permission to come back into the city. But catch this. Though so he's back in the city, safe and, and free from accusation, yet still David refused to see him. Absalom could live in the city, but he couldn't see the king, his father. And that happened for two years. He's in the city free, but he can't see his father. And finally, after two years, Absalom had enough. He said, why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Right? In other words, he says, I can experience freedom. I can experience living without fear of punishment, but I need something more. I need a relationship. I want assurance from my father. I want to come and be embraced by my father is what he's saying. And that's what Packers quote, right? Forgiveness is great, but love is more. And love is demonstrated through this metaphor of adoption. When you take another's child and take this child in as your own, And, and when you do that, it comes with some privileges, And uh, here's my first privilege. It comes in verse 14. It says that God leads us. Right there, verse 14, you you can read it there. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And I just say that's a great privilege that we have, that God leads us. I mean, can you fathom that here? It is the God of the universe leads us, and He guides us. You know, I was thinking this week about a a role of a, a father leading his children, and um, my son from California called me twice this week, and he called me twice with specific questions, and uh, one time, I, he called, and I said, I saw I can't talk right now, and, and I said, can we talk later tonight when my schedule finally frees up, and he says, okay. I said, do you just want to talk? He said, no, I got a question for you, and um, you know what kind of question college kids have? I got a question about girls, and so we we chatted a bit about girls, and um being whatever, uh, being smart and wise about that as a dad, I brought I brought mom into the conversation so we could talk about girls with him. And just as he tries to navigate the waters of relationship, um, another call he called about was jobs. Just looking for financial advice or thinking about he's got job opportunity, but it's it's kind of a new job he's proposing. He's pitching to this company and how he's going to do that, and so he's just looking for advice about that. And with each call, he's seeking to. Input about how to navigate through life, and as I was thinking about this, I, I was just thinking, you know what? I, um, rare is the time that a teenager or college student calls me as a pastor. And says, "Hey, you know your pastor, but could you could you just lead me, help help me here with this?" And um, you know, sometimes i have been asked about school, and sometimes been asked about girls with with boys, but but not very much. But, but it's, it's because of my unique role with SR, my son, that I'm his father, and I know him better than anybody else knows him, and quite frankly, I care about him more than anybody else cares about him. It's interesting, we have a, a Chinese student in our home, and, um, you know, just reflecting upon this, Yvonne, as we pray for our kids uh, almost daily together, um, you know, we don't even pray for her, very much, you know, we just kind of add her, it, it, why? It's, she lives in her home. But you know what? She's not one of our children, and we care for her, and we we love her. But you know what? It just demonstrates, as I think of this week, it just demonstrates how we, we just don't care for her like a father cares for his children or a mother cares for his children. Because there's an intimacy there. I know us are better than anyone else. There's a trust. He trusts me. There's a familiarity there, and I think that I can counsel him in a way that's unique that nobody else can. And you can counsel your children in a way that's unique that, that I can't or that other people can't. Now, sometimes there's help for, there's need for outside counsel and all, um, but there is a way in which you know your children best and can probably counsel your children better than, than others can. And that's a privilege of, of adoption, right? When we really become one of the family of God with a caring Father who will lead us and guide us in all the issues of life. And so the question comes here in verse 14, well, well how does He do that? And there's some would just say, well, God's gonna guide us by the Spirit, and you just close your eyes and say, Um, and just let, let God walk and guide you. And I don't I just say not so fast, because there are ways, there are objective ways that God leads us. He leads us through His Word. Right, God, through His Spirit, gave us the Bible, and He gave us the Bible as a guide to how we ought to live. As we read and understand His Spirit-inspired, divine-inspired Word, our, our path to life often is made clear. He often leads us through the counsel of other believers, whether that's a parent or whether that's a friend. He, he guides us that way, especially godly believers in the body of Christ who've walked with the Lord for, for years and have learned His Word and learned just some practical wisdom of life and they have wisdom to share with others. That's how God guides he also guides through prayer, right, when there's diff- difficult issues in your life, and, and you're just praying to God. You're looking for, for direction and, and discernment, and you're just looking for counsel and advice. And just like my son sought my advice this week, we seek the Lord in His vi- advice and ready to, to lead us. And his, his answer to prayer comes through His Word many times, comes through other people, can come through circumstances. Um, our prayer meeting today, we just reflected upon Answers to prayer, things we've prayed about, but we haven't even realized that, Oh, God answered that, right? It was an emergency four weeks ago. But through circumstances of life, God has made paths really clear as He guides us and He leads us. And I think there is a subjective element in this, right, that God by His Spirit, as verse 14 says, those who are led by the Spirit of God or sons of God, there is a subjective element where God will indwell us and will lead us and guide us. And I just say, what a privilege that is, that God of the universe leads us. Well, uh, second point, not only does God lead us, but He also claims us, okay, that's what I'm getting, that's what adoption is. Look, Look at verse 15. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is what adoption is, is a parent claiming a child as his own. The child wants the responsibility of another parent, but oftentimes, 99.9% of the time, 100% of the time, whatever, that, that parent has disregarded that child or maybe has died and couldn't Take care of that child anymore. The child's an orphan, and so I'm going to take that child in to us. The child is mine. I take full responsibility for caring for that child. And, and, and Paul is really bringing us back to the reality of the Spirit of God in their lives. He's saying this, when you receive the Spirit of God, it, it wasn't like sin that enslaved you. It, it, it wasn't like the law that instilled fear within you. No, the Spirit that you've received is different than that. You're more like an adoptive parent. Who, who takes on all the responsibilities in in raising you as a child. See, that's a, that's a huge privilege that the the God of the universe, the one with infinite resources would do that with us. That He would claim us as a child. And, and, and I think of our legal system and the metaphors and the things that our legal system teaches us about adoption is insightful because it parallels with our adoption of us. So I, I pulled up here. I just searched for a... Uh, birth certificate. So I don't even know who this Ronald Hubbard Lafayette guy is. But I just some sort of some sort of thing. Other people know who this guy is. This guy liked some mass murder. Is he? Oh yes. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. Well, you know there were other birth certificates. I just pulled one. So whatever. So that's interesting. <laughs> Thank you. You know more than I do. Um, but think about what's put on here. Father's name. Mother's name, date of birth, place of birth, race, whatever, filed, bam, there it is. It's this guy's birth certificate. Now, when a child is adopted, do you know that the original birth certificate is amended? It's changed and transformed. The father's name is taken away, and the mother's name is taken away, and the proper, the, the new adopted father and mother are placed there, the place of birth hasn't changed, the date of birth hasn't changed, but, but the father's name, the mother's name, and the child's name, if oftentimes when uh, they become adopted, that, that changes well. And then what they do is once that's amended, they take the original birth certificate and they file it away. They seal it by the court. And, and depending upon the circumstances, in some cases, it can be well nigh impossible for a child to obtain the original birth certificate. It's as if it was totally gone, as if it never happened, as if it never existed, because the child is born to the adoptive parents, right? It's like, like changing reality, because that's what it is. It's, it's changing reality of this child that once was these parents, but now no, is these parents from birth. That's what I'm calling claiming. That, that's what God has done with us. He's claimed us as one of His children. He says, The children, that child is mine. And qual contrasts with a, another claiming, which might be the, the claim of slavery, which is wrong, but it taught, adoption is totally different than slavery. Verse 15 You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Now, slavery is totally different. When, when someone claims a, a slave, the, their property can be sold, mortgaged, or leased at the will of the master, kept as long as the master wants to, can be disregarded, can be cast away whenever the needs of the master aren't met anymore. But that's not slavery. In fact, there's, there's a contrast. You, didn't, you weren't claimed in slavery, you were claimed in adoption And God claims us as His child. And that's why we have no fear, because we can come to Him as a child, can come to His parent. In fact, at the end of verse 15, it speaks about how we come to God. We come to God crying, Abba, Father. Now, the word Abba is an Aramaic word, translated just means Father. And uh, it's the word that Jesus used in the garden when He was contemplating His death, and He was crying out there. He says, Abba, Father, Father. Right? Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Just appealing to his heavenly Father in the most desperate of terms, Abba. Now, some have explained this as the term daddy. Trying to show the intimacy of the word in expressing the cry of a little child. Now, now there's truth in that because we come we come to God as a child, right? We, we come to God like little children who... who um, approach the kingdom of heaven right we need to approach a little child but there's no reason to limit this word as just a daddy i mean that that can sound trite jesus was was no little child when he was coming and crying out to god he was no whimpering child addressing his heavenly father as daddy all right so it's bigger than that but but fundamentally this word abba means father it's all about relationship yes god is our god and God is our Father. He's claimed as His Son. Jesus even taught us to pray using those terms. Pray when you pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. And we can come to our, our Heavenly Father lo- like a child coming to his daddy, crying out, Daddy, Daddy! Because he's falling off the swing. Or, or we can come to, to God as a college student who comes to his dad and says, Dad, I need some financial help here. Can you, can you lend me a, a line? Can I have some money? Because I need to whatever. I'm in college, I'm a poor college student, or, or whether as a grown father coming to his own father seeking parental advice, what, what do I do for a wayward son, dad, what do I do? There, there's all different range, but, but they're all true of relationship that we have to the Lord as an adopted child. We, we don't necessarily have to just call him God or, or the Lord, we can call him father. What an amazing thing, what a What a great privilege. Here we are, a third point, that God assures us. Uh, I get that from, from verse 16 about, about how it says here, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I think one of the issues here of this verse is that it's, it's assurance that, that yes, God is confirming everything that is true about us in verse 15. No, we're not slaves. Yes, we are children. Yes, God has adopted us. Yes, God has claimed us as a father. And he cares for us. We can call him Abba Father. We don't need to come to him in fear. We can come to him in confidence of all that the Heavenly Father has the best for us. In fact, we sang, Children of the Heavenly Father. Hymn number 719. Neither life nor death shall ever from the Lord his children sever. Unto them is grace he showeth and their sorrows, all he knoweth. Though he giveth or he taketh, God his children ne'er forsaketh. His the loving purpose solely to preserve them pure and holy. And I think that's the idea, is that God is going to be faithful to his children, that we are children of God. There's, there's the assurance that the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, notice the direction of the communication here. The direction is down, not up. In other words, it's God's Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's not our spirit bears witness to God's Spirit that we are children of God. It's not that way, you know? It's not that the burden of proving that we're a child is upon us. Like God, look, I'm your child. I really am. No, it's God coming down to us. That's adoption, right? it's not the children who initiate adoption, it's the parents who initiate adoption. It's the parents who receive the child. It's not the child that needs to prove merits to get into the adoptive relationship. And here it is. It's, it's God telling us that we are His child. And I do believe this is an assurance. This is a comfort. So many times people can be discouraged. Is that really the case? Yes, you are. And you say, well, well how does that happen? It says, with our spirit. The spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. That is, that is within us. That is our, our spiritual being. Not with our mind, but with our spirit. There's an inner testimony of assurance. There's a subjective experience that our spirit is comforted by the testimony of the Spirit of God that we are children of God. And you say, well, well how does that happen? Well, I, I think it happens when you see God's working in your life. Right? Right? Perhaps when you, you find yourself reading the Bible... And loving its truths. And you kind of, maybe after you've read the Bible, you, you reflect, that wow, I really love the Bible. I really love God's Word. Now, that's only God's Spirit that's in us that, that works. Or or when you, you find yourself enjoying being with God's people. When, when you've had a time, say, at church or at a small group or something, and you've been with God's people, and you say, wow, I just... I just really enjoy. It. I can I can echo the psalmist Psalm eighty four verse ten. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I, I just love the people of God far more than the people of the world. The, and, and that's the spirit confirming the testing of the fruit that's in our lives. Or we notice ourselves walking throughout the day and we're facing some sort of conflict, and we just pray spontaneously, maybe audibly if no one's around, or maybe just quietly to to God. We're just we're just praying to God constantly and. And that's, that's a spirit working in our life that we can have comfort. I, I do have this relationship with God because I'm constantly just praying and depending upon Him. Or, or maybe you see yourself just hating sin. You know, there, there is sin and I, I hate it of the, the Romans chapter 7 variety. I'm fighting against it. There's, the Spirit of God is working in you. And God's Spirit is testifying that you are. Or maybe you see yourself thinking of the Lord without even realizing it because you got a relationship there you just you're just thinking and dwelling upon that that's god's spirit assuring us that we are children of god and the obvious question now is are you a child of god do you know that subjective experience about the, the spirit bearing witness with your spirit do you know that i mean it, all, all this stuff about adoption i mean and we're talking in these wonderful privileges it, it may not even be true of you you might be a street boy out there begging Right? Who, who happens to come in to the gathering of the children's home, but doesn't live there, but just kind of comes around, but doesn't know anything about being brought into the family. And, and so, is, is the Spirit of God, right? just even right now, are you a child of God? Is the Bible your delight? Are God's people your delight? Are you fighting sin? Are, are you praying? Because I think these are the ways that the subjective influence of the Spirit and our spirit kind of flushes itself out when we delight in the things of God. I say, what a privilege it is that God gives us this assurance. Well, finally, and we've saved the best for last, not only does God lead us, not only does God claim us, not only does He assure us, but He also gives to us. Verse 17, and this is the logical implication, okay, if we are children of God, if God has adopted us and we are aright and there, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I'll just tell you that this is one of those truths that's so amazing, it's difficult to believe. Um, See, when you're adopted, you become a child in every way that a natural child is a child. You're not a second class citizen in the home. You're loved like a natural child. It means you have all the privileges of a natural child. You can roam your house as a natural child. If other natural children can drive a car you're at the proper age, then you're able to do that. If they need some financial help, whatever, to go to school or, or help help like that or whatever the financial arrangement is, if right, the parents buy the clothes or they buy half the clothes, or the kids get it. Whatever the natural kids do, the adopted kids do as well. And of importance here in verse 17 is that that extends even to the inheritance. If natural children receive inheritance, so also will you. And if everything's right in the home, mom and dad are fair to the children. Everybody inherits about the same amount. Now, there might be reasons why kids are disinherited or they play all those games and stuff like that. But, but at the bottom line is that you have every bit of a right to an inheritance as a natural born child. Okay, so let's let's think about that with God. God has adopted us as His child, but we aren't an only child. There's lots of us, but there's one child that stands above the rest. Maybe you know His name. Jesus is God's Son. And when it comes to our inheritance in the heavenly kingdom, we inherit the kingdom right alongside of Jesus. Look at verse 17, and if we are children, then we are heirs. Yes, we are children. The, the Verse 16 says, the Spirit is bearing witness. We are children. Okay, so I'm a child. Okay, now let's think about that. I'm an heir. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So you think about Jesus, and what is Jesus going to inherit? He's going to inherit the kingdom. You remember when he was talking with James and John, and they wanted to sit down as right or as left in the kingdom, and and uh, he said, um, "Well, that's really not mine to give, but there he is. He's going to have this kingdom." You remember the illustration of Psalm 110, where the and he's sitting waiting for his enemies to make his footstool, but his enemies are going to be made a footstool. He's going to be a, a king. You, you, all the picture of Revelation right there at the end of this heavenly city, this new Jerusalem that comes down, he's going to reign and rule over that. That's his possession. And you know what? That's our possession too. We will reign with Jesus as kings and priests. Now, of course, you've got to temper that, right? Because Jesus is going to sit on the throne and sit on the right and the left. We can't get there. But, but may, may it be that what is Jesus is ours in the kingdom, fundamentally, it's His, but it is also ours as well. We read in Ephesians 1 today about the inheritance. Ephesians 1 verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. And the Holy Spirit, verse 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. See, there's this inheritance of, of the kingdom which Christ has inherited as the Son but we also will get and partake of as well, and perhaps it's far more than you think because we are fellow heirs with Jesus, co-heirs with Christ, heirs of God as His children. He will give us the world. Unbelievable. And of course, temper that with the supremacy of Jesus. We're not Jesus, but 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 don't let's let, don't let's think of ourselves as lower class. Think ourselves. We are adopted children on par with Jesus. Right? I mean, that's, that, that's a song, right? As the deer pants for the water, you're my friend and you are my brother, even though you are a king, right? He is a king, but there's also a friend aspect to it. There's also this brother aspect to things where we are a brother with Jesus as an adopted child of God. Now, now there is a condition Okay, and the condition is the same as the condition of verse 16. Is, is the Spirit of God in you? Are you a child of God? Verse 17, this one, those more external. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The condition is suffering. The condition is taking up your cross and following Him daily. The condition is dying to yourself. You know, we went through First Peter we uh, we saw that the whole theme of first Peter is that the suffering is for now, but the glory is for later. Consider first Peter four, twelve and thirteen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as so some strange thing were happening to you. All right, you remember these these Christians were in Rome and they were facing some difficulties and some, some persecutions, probably from King Nero, and and bad, bad things happening. He says, Don't be surprised, right? Because suffering has to come. But he says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Right? Because suffering with Christ is the path to glory with Christ. That's what Jesus, right, who existed in the form of God, did not regard equality of a thing to be grasped, but He humbled Himself to suffer so He would obtain the kingdom. And, you know, one of the conditions basically here is that if you are a child of God, you are a child of God. And you are marked out by the devil and the world as children of God. And you are different and we will suffer just like Christ suffered. Maybe not to the same degree. okay? But there is suffering here that we as heirs, as children... Why would we expect anything different? Why would we expect everything to go well for us when it didn't for our brother Jesus? But it went bad for him in this life. And it will go bad for us. So suffering is not some strange thing. First Peter 4.12... It is the extent that we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified with Him. And next week, verse 18, the suffering though, whatever we suffer on this earth, not worth comparing. Just like whatever, whatever suffering we have on this earth, and for, uh, for Paul it meant being beheaded. For Peter it meant being crucified upside down. For almost all the apostles it meant martyrdom of some type. And for many in the Christian world, it's, it's meant difficulty and hardship. But he said, whatever sufferings there are, verse 18, this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings now are, are nothing compared to this great inheritance that we're going to get, being fellow heirs with Jesus. And I, I just hope my prayer for you is that you'll believe that and embrace that and see the great privileges of adoption that we have as we are children of God. And that phrase can just kind of zip right across our mind. But today, as we kind of dwelt upon it, I want you even to think about that orphan in Bardia, Nepal, how much his life has changed and how much things are different for him now because he's in the family. I mean, he was not adopted, okay, but he's come into the children's home, which cares for him like a family. And so, likewise, we have been brought into the family of God, and our change is way more than becoming a street boy to an educated uh, young man who's responsible in society and earns a happy, prosperous life in many ways. But our, our, our contrast is far greater that we who are dead have been brought to life, made heirs of the kingdom of Christ. What a great thing that is. Can you say amen? Father, I, I pray that we would embrace these things and what it means to be a son, that you have adopted us. What a, what a joy that is. God, what a privilege that is. I, I pray we would understand Jack Packer's thrust in knowing God that is the highest privilege of the gospel greater than justification, because justification is legal and forensic. God, but this brings us into relationship with you, and I pray, God, you would stir us so much that we would be eager then to share the gospel with people. This week, oh God, I pray you'd give us a chance, give us opportunities, make us bold to speak this gospel with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.